Let's pray together. Father, we confess in the, in the busyness, in the planning, in the traveling, in the gift-giving, in the buying, in the baking, and all the, the things that are wrapped up in our family traditions and in our celebrations. And It's easy for me, for us, to get a little bit lost in those things and miss what those things are meant to point us toward. And so we are grateful to come this morning to look fresh at the reality of our hope, the the source of what should awe us, that you, God, have come to dwell with us. Thank you that at the right time you have come near to us in Christ Jesus. Would you encourage our hearts today for those of us who are burdened by various things and over, a little overwhelmed? Would you help us to find a, a sense of peace and comfort in you in the midst of circumstances that might be challenging? Father, if we're coming in with lots of joy and excitement, would you help us to, to turn that and angle that where it should be, turned in worship to you because we recognize that every good thing that we have is ultimately from you? And would you help us this morning as we get into your word to see clearly who you are, what you've done for us, and and I pray it would produce worship, not just from our lips, but from our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen, amen. You can have a seat. Good morning. morning. We're working through, thank you, good morning, we're working through a, a our season of Advent as we're moving toward Christmas. Uh, we're reminded again of the gift of Jesus. He's come to us, a light in a dark place. It, it, it's tough. I'm, I don't mind winter, but I have to admit, when it goes gray like this and kind of stays gray, I'm just... I, Anyone else feel me on that? Like you just like a little bit of sun to just maybe creep through the clouds, right? We recognize the need in times of dullness and darkness and the power of light in that context. And that's what Jesus is. He has, he's come to bring light into dark places. We're working our way through the first few chapters of Luke as Luke leads up to the birth of Jesus, God the Son, wrapped in human flesh, come to seek and save the lost to accomplish God's redemption. So, if you need a Bible, you can slip your hand up, and uh, Steve or Riley can uh, get one to you. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1 still. There's a lot of verses there. It's in page 555 of these Bibles that we're handing out, Luke chapter 1. And if you want to find verse 39, we'll start there in a minute. So far, we've, we've looked at two birth announcements. The promise of the birth of John the Baptist, who was the forerunner, the one who would proclaim out ahead of the coming Messiah, making way for Jesus. And last week, we looked at the promise to a young virgin named Mary that she would conceive miraculously by the power of the Holy Spirit, and she would bear in her womb God the Son, and that He would be the Savior of the world. And Mary's response is, is pretty extraordinary if you think about it. The last verse that Pastor Devin preached on last week, 
after hearing what the angel said, that she'll conceive and bear a son, Luke 1.38 says this, Mary said, Behold, I'm a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And then the angel departed. That, that's pretty remarkable if you just stop and, and think about it, right? God says, I'm going to radically alter the course of not just your life, but all of human history through you. And it will be a blessing to you, but it will not be easy. And he goes out of his way to explain to her through an angel. And as we keep working through this interaction with Elizabeth here today, the way in which God is going to display his glory, that's almost impossible to understand and comprehend. And Mary's response is, okay. I trust you. Now we're going to pick up there, starting in verse 39 of Luke chapter 1. Um, it'll be on the screen as well. I invite you to read along. This is the word of the Lord for us. We're going to read all the way down through verse 56, starting in verse 39. <clears throat> in those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to, the town in, to a town in Judah. She entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, excuse me, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Luke records Mary's response. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who has, is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his, with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Luke tells us that Mary remained with Elizabeth about three months and returned to her home. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Now, there's a lot going on here. We read a good number of verses. There's some narrative of what's happening. And then there's this long response from Mary. You see, Mary's response is one of awe of worship. She considers who God is and what God has done for her, both of those things, and she responds with praise, with a song. See, as we read this passage, I wonder for myself and for us that, that maybe we too are in danger, we're in danger of losing our awe, of for who God is and what God has done for us to become kind of boring. 
He works miracles and meets our needs as we go along. And our biggest need in Jesus and our response in here, in our hearts, is kind of, eh. But I think we can recover our awe a little bit as we look at God for who He is and what He's done. So let's look at what's going on here in history. Starting in verse 39, Luke tells us that Mary arose and went with haste to see Elizabeth. Luke gives us the sense that it's almost immediately, it's like Gabriel disappears and she's like, okay, pack my stuff, go see Elizabeth. That's the impression we get. And it was probably at least a little bit of a journey. They, they weren't neighbors. They didn't live next door. This wasn't a quick, you know, three and a half hour car ride to visit grandma west of the Twin Cities. This was uh, a, a little bit of a journey. And so as Mary is traveling, she's probably and very likely turning over in her head story after story after story of God's miraculous provision to give children in accomplishment of his promises. Devin said it last week. This is the seventh with Mary, seventh kind of birth announcement, birth narrative we have in the scriptures. And Mary, as a faithful worshiper of God, is very likely on her journey, turning over and over again the truths about who God is and what He has done and what He is doing and all the psalms that cry out in praise to God for His faithfulness on this journey. And so when Mary arrives, Elizabeth greets her, and the the, the text tells us that when Elizabeth hears with her own ears, Mary saying, Elizabeth, I'm here, that the baby inside Elizabeth jumps. Now, if you've carried a, 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 a child in your womb, if you're a woman in here who's done that, who's had that experience, a six-month-old um, baby in the womb, movement is not abnormal, right? You'd expect some kind of movement. But, but Luke gives us this detail. He says she is filled with the Holy Spirit and like blurts out. So this is not just a normal foot or arm movement of a six-month baby in the womb. There's something else here. And she cries out with excitement, blessed are you, Mary. Blessed are you, and blessed is the child that you're carrying. And then she asks this really interesting question. Why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? See, right here in Luke chapter 1, Elizabeth is giving a defense, if you will, of the deity of God the Son, Jesus. Why is it that the mother of my Lord would bless me? She is both affirming the deity of Jesus, that God had come to dwell with his people, and the promise that God had given to Zechariah through Gabriel, and the promise that God had given to Mary through Gabriel. This connection of John to Jesus, her son to Mary's son. And she can't contain it. It's like it pours out of her. I don't know if Luke could be any more explicit that she blurts it out with excitement. Now, Elizabeth could have been envious, right? She had spent her entire life waiting and praying and hoping for a child. And yes, God grants it. But here to her relative Mary, who's young, who's not experienced any of the life that Elizabeth has, Mary almost gets a bigger blessing. And so Elizabeth could have been like, 
well. But she doesn't. She doesn't. Elizabeth, filled with the Spirit, responds with great joy at God's sovereign plan. And her response is she blesses Mary. She blesses her. And then, starting in verse 46, we see Mary's response. It's a song. The language is poetic. It's filled with all kinds of scriptural allusions, references. Um, I don't think Mary's like explicitly speaking prophetically, but calling back the promises that God gave to Hannah when she had Samuel and was promised Samuel miraculously, calling back truths about who God is from the Psalms in multiple places in this song. Let's look at some of them. Um, This section here uh, is often referred to, it says, uh, the Magnificat, and maybe in your Bible, It comes from the Latin. It literally just means magnifies. This is Mary's song of magnifying the Lord. And to magnify something is to to see it bigger, right? When you get old, you need to have glasses that magnify the text of the book you're reading. I may or may not have trouble sometimes. (laughs) I'm like, oh no, I'm turning into my... My dad, where he had like 50 pairs of magnifying reader glasses just scattered throughout his life, right? Totally fine during the normal day, but if you want to read a book, good luck, right? Why do you magnify something? You want to blow it up. You want to see it for up close and personal. So Mary's song is one that is magnifying the Lord, making him big and visible. And it's worship. Her lips are expressing the state of her heart. Notice she doesn't just say, I praise the Lord with my mouth. No, no, she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices. So what's happening here is her words that are coming out of her mouth are matching the rest of her. And that's important to note because that's not often where I find myself, right? Maybe you don't either. Where my words sometimes are saying one thing, but I'm feeling something else. That's not what's happening here. And why is she rejoicing? Verse 48, she says, For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. She is speaking as one who recognizes she is poor and needy. She's humble. She's lowly. She's not of high stature or social uh, placement. And she says, from, Behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. That this blessing she has received is completely and, uh, unexpected and undeserved. She is a relatively poor, unmarried young woman, and the Lord has chosen to bless her in such a way that you and I, 2,000 plus years later, when we are looking at what God has done in sending Jesus, we are still talking about her. When we read this account at Christmas time, that's a family tradition of ours, Christmas Eve, we'll go home before bed, we'll open up the scriptures, and we'll just read from Luke chapter 2 in the birth account of Jesus. And so when we do that, year after year after year, we are fulfilling what Mary is saying in verse 48, that for generations we will acknowledge God has done something miraculous here in blessing Mary. This sermon this morning, in referencing the blessedness of Mary that Elizabeth is giving, that she's acknowledging, we are actually agreeing with verse 48 of Mary. We're agreeing with Mary that, yes, we're adding our voices to the generations of those who acknowledge God has done something miraculous here. 
And Mary says, for he who is mighty, the Lord, the one who is high and big and lifted up and great, he has done great things for me. Holy is his name. And this is how you and I can recover our sense of awe, I think, as we move through this Christmas season. That we remember that God is mighty, that he is sovereign, that he reigns over every molecule in the universe with precision and intention, and that he, in his kindness, is working his divine purposes for our good to meet you and I personally. He is infinite in his power and he is intimate in his accomplishment of that purpose for you and for me. So Mary says, he who is mighty... As Devin reminded us last week, is anything too hard for the Lord? No, no, nothing is impossible with God. He who is mighty has done great things, Mary says, for me. He loves me. And in sending Jesus, he dies to redeem me. So let's not lose this. The the majesty and glory of God on display in redemption is a picture of he who is mighty has done great things for me. So we're going to look at those two things. Mary uh, sings first. We're going to look at what she says about who God is. And then we'll look at what it means for God to be God for us. So Mary speaks of three things she references in this passage, in this section about who God is. She talks about God's holiness She talks about God's mercy, and she talks about God's power. Mary says, holy is his name. Holy is the name of the Lord. Psalm 99, verse 3, let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is he. Psalm 111, verse 9, he, God, sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. When we read that God's name is holy, it isn't just that His proper name is special, that Yahweh as a, as a, as a proper noun is, is, is special in and of itself. It's not just what it means when we say God's name is holy. Your name encompasses who you are. And in this case, to say that God's name is holy means that He is holy. Like the definition of what is good and right and holy. All that is God is holy. He is perfect. He is without error. He is without blemish. He is the definition of good. And His name is holy. And it serves to identify Him. It's important that that Mary upholds that picture of God as holy. Mary also says God is merciful. Verse 50 that God is merciful, has shown mercy to those who fear Him. The, the word fear there speaks of reverence, of worship. God shows mercy to those who acknowledge their need for mercy. Those who look to God as one who is great and can meet their great need. And Mary says, this is the way God is from generation to generation. This has always been God's pattern. God has been consistent in His mercy towards those who are humble before him. I mean, if you just look back at the, the line of Jesus and look back at all the people in the, the, the family tree, if you will, of redemption, 
the, the messed up and the lowly and the unexpected. There are, there are uh, sinners and broken people, adulterers, prostitutes, Gentiles, where God is having mercy because this is God's pattern, part of his nature to have mercy on those who fear him. And Mary says, this is how it is. This is how God is. This is who he is. He is holy and he is merciful. Psalm 138 verse 6, for the Lord is high and yet he regards the lowly. Proverbs 3, toward the scorners, God is scornful, but to the humble, he gives favor. Isaiah 57, for this says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, right? This is God speaking. God says this, I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and revive the heart of the contrite. Mary is praising God for his mercy. And in verse 51, she praises God because he's powerful. He has shown strength with his arm. That's a great phrase, by the way. If you want to nerd out for a little bit, just go study the strength of the arm of the Lord. And all through the Old Testament, we see God showing strength with his arm or showing himself to be strong or moving his, his mighty hand, right? We, we've heard that language. And here, this phrase, God showing strength with his arm, almost gives the impression, forgive me if this, is, if this is too much, but almost gives the impression of God flexing. He's, he's showing off his divine strength. Now, when one of us flexes, we roll our eyes a little, right? I actually saw a t-shirt looking for Christmas gifts that was, it was a cut-off shirt, and the words on the shirt said, I flexed and, this sh- and the arms fell off. And I'm like, that's funny. You would never see me wearing that because you're like, that's just not at all true. <laughs> right? Like when, when, we, when we flex, we, we, we show, trying to show off something, right? And we laugh and, and we roll our eyes because, because we recognize we're trying to, to make ourselves like bigger than we actually are and more important than we actually are. When one of us flexes, it's kind of like, okay. Sure, go ahead. But when, when God flexes, he, he's not trying to be something he's not. It's not that God feels threatened. Uh-oh, I better, I better prove myself because, you know, he's just being himself. Who can compare to the Lord? I think that's the bigger thing here. When Mary's saying, like, he shows strength with his arm, she's acknowledging actually none can compare to him. Psalm 40, verse 5, you have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us, none can compare with you. Psalm 89, verse 6, for who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is nobody. So Mary's reminded and is reminding us that God shows his power in the world in lots of ways. In this case, she says, he scatters the proud And not just based on their actions, but sees through to the thoughts and intentions of the heart. I think one of the most terrifying Christmas songs is Santa Claus is Coming to Town. And here's why. You better watch out. You better not cry. 
you better not pout, I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. Gets worse. He sees you when you're sleeping. Creepy. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. Right? Like, we chuckle. But, like, that's a behavior you arrest someone for. Right? And sometimes, we don't even have to talk about that. We add a small little elf we put on the shelf who watches the kids and then reports back to Santa the things that Santa might not see. If you do the elf on the shelf, that's fine. I just think like, whoa, you know? But, but here's the deal. That's scary because anyone wielding that kind of power is terrifying. Because I know Santa is not holy or merciful or probably all-powerful, right? Anyone else holding that kind of authority and power to, to look all the way through everything and get down into the thoughts and intentions of my heart, if they are not righteous in their judgment, I am toast. It's terrifying. But Mary sees that God from his throne is indeed this kind of powerful and merciful and holy and good and all his judgments are right. So therefore, it's not fearful for punishment. She stands in awe of a God who is like this. Mary's awe is fueled by remembering this is who God is. And this is only three parts of who he is or three aspects of of who he is. He is holy, he is merciful, and he is powerful, and that power is unmatched. So the question is, as you think about who God is, according to these categories, do a little self-assessment. What's your level of awe of God in that? Do you see God for who he is? Because for some of us, we have too low a view of God. We see ourselves as too big, and God is too small. Now, I don't think Mary has that problem. She, she knows she's small. She knows God is big, and God is great, and God is glorious. Because when we, I think when we see God for who He is, as big and great and glorious and holy and merciful and powerful, it rightly kind of puts us in our place, doesn't it? Jeremy Martinson, preaching on this text last Christmas at Grace City Church, um, he said this, Nothing kills self-righteousness like God's glory. That's good. It punched me in the heart, but it's a good, it's a good phrase, right? Nothing kills self-righteousness like God's glory. You think you're hot stuff, Jake? You think you're a big deal? You, who's the one who sees through the words and actions all the way to the thoughts and intentions of your heart, huh? Who's the one who isn't threatened by uh, power-hungry dictators around the world flexing their puny muscles? Who's the one who can unseat the wicked from their high places? Who can actually judge without being partial or partisan? Who can bring life to what was once barren? Puts me in my place real quick. And we need to be reminded of the Apostle Paul's encouragement to not think of ourselves more highly than we ought. Because true power is shown in humble service. It's exemplified in Jesus, God the Son, 
humbling himself, taking the nature of a servant, wrapping himself in human flesh and coming to live and die to redeem a race of traitors, you and me. Are we greater than our own king? No. Who can compare? None. So for some of us, we can recover our awe of God by seeing with fresh eyes His greatness and glory on display. Some of you this morning need that reminder that in your eyes you're too big and God is too small. However, for some of you and for some of us, that's not our problem. We really don't have a problem with God being big and great, and yet our awe of God is still small. But it might be because we've lost sight of something else. See, Mary praised God for being great and holy and merciful and powerful, and she also said, and He has done these great things for me. That God's holiness, that God's mercy, that God's power is also at work for you. He has done great things for me, she says. So that's the other part, not just looking at who God is in abstract, but also looking at in light of who God is, how He has come and has worked and blessed me. When we look at God's holiness, maybe we acknowledge God is holy, but we have forgotten that He calls us and meets us in our mess that He brings the cleansing power of His own blood to wash us clean and actually make us holy. That we can't clean ourselves up. And that it's a daunting task to look at God and His holiness and recognize really how far away we are. But that He knows that we're broken. He knows that we're weak. And He comes with compassion and mercy to breathe life into us, to cleanse us, to bind up our own wounds, and to welcome us, and not only just welcome us, but literally carry us to bring us into his own care and protection. This is what Jesus has done for all who have faith in him, that the one true holy God has come to us in our brokenness and carrying us back to his house, bringing us into his family, brings healing and wholeness and makes us holy. He has done great things for me. God who is holy makes me holy. What about God's mercy? It's one thing to consider that God is merciful to the lowly, to the humble, to the poor and the broken, to those who fear and worship Him. But maybe you find a reason to exclude yourself from that list. For some, it might be because you actually think you have it all together and you don't need God's mercy. If that's the case, let me just refer you to my earlier point about God being holy. Because God looks past the actions to the heart, right? I think our view of God is too small if we don't think we need His mercy. But what I'm talking about here is Maybe you're the person who thinks, well, I should know better by now. I I should do better by now. Oh, Oh, I know I need God's mercy. But I can't actually get myself to believe that God would actually show me mercy. As if maybe I'm too far gone. Maybe I've done one too many things. Maybe I've slapped his hand one too many times. I'm 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 too bad. Can I just lovingly remind you, your view of God and your view of God's mercy is too small. 
You think you can exhaust the mercy of God? As if you've used up your share and now you don't get any more? That's not how this works. He who is mighty is merciful to those who fear him, who fall on their faces and say, God, I need you. He doesn't turn those people away. Let me encourage you from Titus chapter 3. Paul, writing to Titus, says this, When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, when he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Salvation comes to us not because we've earned it, not because of works done in righteousness, but according to his mercy. We can recover our awe when we remember that God in Christ Jesus has extended his mercy to me and I cannot exhaust it. That doesn't make me want to say, great, do what I want. No, I fall on my face and I say, thank you, God, that you would have mercy still on me. What about God's power? Mary says that God's power is on display. He shows strength in his arm. He takes down rulers and the wicked from their thrones. His power is on display in every storm and every star hung in the sky. God's power is on display in the healing of sickness and the promise of a baby after years of infertility and in taking a heart that is prideful like mine and breaking it, breathing life into deadness, the miracle that is faith, that is salvation. It's a miraculous work of the Holy Spirit every time. Every time we give good confession that Jesus is indeed Lord and Savior, God's power is at work bringing about that miraculous act. He doesn't just control the cosmos. He brings His power to bear every day. Pause for a minute if you'll go with me. And I don't know if you can do this very easily. It was always frustrating as a kid. To, can you find your own pulse? Maybe here, maybe on your neck. Usually after a slight jog or shoveling, I can just, it's, you can see it coming out the front of my coat, right? Find your pulse? You feel that? Do you think you're the one, like, causing your heart to beat right now, to pump blood through your body in this intricate system of oxygenating the blood and then taking it through your system to supply the body with the oxygen that it needs and then bringing back its depleted supply back through the lungs to get reoxygenated to go back through the body. You think you'd, you'd do that? You're consciously right now saying like, pump, pump, pump. Of course not. Of course you're not doing that. God is sustaining the whole world, Hebrews tells us, all of the universe by the word of his power. Newsflash, that includes you. 
Are you tracking in your own life maybe some, some growth or some conviction? Maybe you found some, some victory in an area over the old self, some old struggles, and you're saying, man, I'm just really grateful that, that I'm growing a little in this. That's the power of the Holy Spirit working sanctification in you. You have the ability to forgive someone that seems just bizarre. It doesn't come from you. That's the power of the Holy Spirit working in you. The ability to pursue humility or respond with patience when you're impatient. It's the power of God through the Holy Spirit working in you. He who is mighty has done and is doing great things for you. And so we recover awe when we see God for who He is, that He is mighty, that He is powerful, that He is merciful, that He is holy. And we remember that the Holy One makes us holy, that He's merciful to me because I too am lowly and in need, and I cannot exhaust His mercy, and that He is working in me, sustaining me and growing me. See, we need our awe restored. And I think as it is, when our, when our vision is, is cleared off a little bit, we see again God for who He is. We're reminded of, of who He is, His greatness. And we're reminded of what He's done for us. So I think when we respond with Mary that our mouths start to catch up to our souls or vice versa, our souls catch up with our mouths. And the joy we have spills out in our worship. He who is mighty has done great things for me. And so if we could, can we let Mary's words here in Luke 1 kind of challenge us, like Mary's voice challenging us from Psalm 34, where the psalmist says this, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you are so abundantly patient with us. That part of your mercy on display is that we aren't just destroyed. We acknowledge you as great and holy and awesome and we confess there is none like you. Forgive us for putting other lesser gods, small g, lesser things up on the pedestal of our lives so that we would worship them. We ask that you would tear those things down from their places that we've placed them. That we would acknowledge you for who you are as good and holy and right and great. pray you'd help us to see, even now as we examine our own hearts and we ask the Holy Spirit for illumination and conviction that we might respond with humility and gratitude for your kindness to us as we come to the communion table, the tangible reminder of God with us in Christ Jesus, That according to your mercy, that makes no sense to us, you would be merciful to me, to us. And that you'd meet us in our place of need, and you'd clean us up, and you'd bind up our wounds, and you'd carry us. Help us to not neglect either of these understandings of who you are, that you are great and mighty. 
and you've reached and done great to us and done great things for us. Encourage our hearts as we come to the table that we'd be filled with fresh gratitude at the reminder of the personal and intimate love of God for us in Christ Jesus. We pray this in His name. Amen.